After all, there is nothing real outside our perception of reality, is there? Pas te dire ce que tu peux faire pour moi. Tu vas voir, c'est pas compliqué. Tu me parles pas. Tu me poses pas de questions. If you wish to avoid prosecution, I would advise that you comply with our language laws. This is the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to the RCMP. That's the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. I'm your host today, Becky Shrimpton. And this week, oh guys, we've got one heck of a treat for you. The hilarious and iconic Jane Eastwood is with me talking about the touchstone Canadian film Going Down the Road, as well as a few other favorites and gems. Uh, unfortunately, we can't get into everything Jane has done because the woman has been working for decades and has been in everything and seen everything and worked with everyone. And for those great stories, I'm going to recommend people go check out her interview with Naomi Sneekes for the Firecracker Department podcast. I'm going to include a link to it in the show notes so you can just click that, go over, listen, it's great. If you haven't seen Going Down the Road, it's Don Shabib's story of Joey and Pete, two Maritimers who come to Toronto in search of a better life. Jane plays Joey's wife. And you've probably seen a parody or riff on it, uh, including Bruce McDonald's Roadkill and this great SCTV sketch called Young Street! Exclamation point. It's funny. Check it out. It's on YouTube. Watching the movie with modern eyes, it still holds up. It's hard not to see how it's affected not just Canadian cinema, but global film in general. So without further ado, here's my interview with Jane Eastwood. And I was in um, Eli Rill's class. You've probably heard of Eli Rill, right? Oh, yeah. Now, yeah. this I have to dig right into. We had Art Hindle on the show, yes. and uh, he was not part of that class when you guys got approached to do Going Down the Road. And in fact, right. he talked about how Going Down the Road inspired him to become an actor and to join that class. Okay, I think he ended great. up with you guys after. Yes. Um, so fill us in. Okay, exactly who was Eli Real? How did you end up there? Who was in that class? Because it's pretty epic. Eli Real was, I'm pretty sure he was American, and he was from New York. I think he had taught at the Actors Studio in New York City, right? And he wanted to start his own studio in Toronto. I don't know what his motives were. I, don't, I didn't know him personally. I just knew him as a great teacher. I ended up knowing him kind of personally. He um, opened his studio and he saw, he was going around to, I think, the theaters and seeing actors and stuff and what they were doing. And he, me, in a amateur production of Suddenly Last Summer. And I was playing Mrs. Venables. Yeah, well, maybe, I think I was 25 years old by then. Or 24 <laughs> Mrs. years Venables. old. And who was 75 years old, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he came backstage and said that he was opening this studio, this workshop, and would anybody be interested? And he gave me his card. And I thought, well, that was great. So I just, I just went right to it because I just love the sound of it. And that's how I ended up being in his class. And I can remember him saying to me, Jane, you're very good. You should be professional. And that was all I needed. I wasn't really a professional actor until then. The other people in the class were Kale Chernin, who I'm sure you know. She ended up being his girlfriend, which was quite scandalous at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but now we just because, know that as theater school. Yeah, so. totally. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then so Paul Bradley was in it and Doug McGrath. There were some other really great people in it. Names I just don't remember those, sadly. 
But we weren't approached to do going down the road. We auditioned for going down the road. It was like an open audition. I th- I feel like I was I feel like I was on the street auditioning for it. <laughs> I feel like I, honest to God, I seem to remember being on a sidewalk. It was a pretty wide open audition, and I bought a wig for the audition. Really? Yeah. I don't know why I bought this weird wig, but it was what I ended up wearing in the. In the movie. Ah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by this because the idea is is that it was a bunch of Toronto filmmakers. Don Jabib is not actually from out east. He had relatives that were from there. Yeah. And then he wrote, he originally conceived this as a documentary called The Maritimers. Of it was course. going to be about, you know, yeah. that. I mean, that's all Canada was doing. And he'd done a bunch of documentaries for the CBC beforehand. You're right. Um, but then, you know, like the good Toronto hipster he is, he's like, I'm going to write about the downtrodden from a Toronto hipster point of view. Yeah. And then a bunch of incredible incredibly hip Toronto kids end up in this film. I don't know if we were really hip Toronto kids at the time. We were just young <laughs> actors. You know what I mean? You are hip Toronto kids. That's, <laughs> that's, that's part of being an actor. <laughs> well, that's true. And also, also, it is true that we already were in a different mindset about acting. Because other actors were like this Robert Christie, you know, they were from Trotford. And we were just feeling it, really, much more like the Stanislavski method of acting. We were method actors, and there weren't any other method actors around in Toronto then. I don't think. So, I mean, you're talking about like how the, the big grand voices and then you guys show up and you're doing incredibly naturalistic, almost yeah. in the very Tay style stuff. Um, the year previous was when Easy Rider came out in 1969. And I right. can't help but know that this had some sort of influence or that had some sort of influence on this in that same like we're journeying, we're a couple of misfits, but with a distinct Canadian twist and where the women actually get a plot line. Wait, six, no, are you, Easy Rider came out before going down the road? It it did, 1969. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so close. But, Very close. But it, it's Cause... that style that changed. So when you see something, like I'm thinking of uh, Rebel Without a Cause, where everybody else in the film, except for James Dean, has right. this like very old world, this is how we act in movies thing. Right. And then you see him do your, the, your tearing me apart scene, and you're like, oh, this is something totally new. Right. And when you see you guys in Going Down the Road versus, you know, all of like the televised things that had come on CBC beforehand. Exactly, exactly. And and it's like, oh, you guys are doing something new and really capturing that like fresh zeitgeist. Did you know that's what you were making? Yes, we did. We totally knew that. And also because really we're students of Eli's and I like because we just improvised all the time in his class. We didn't do scene work. We just we probably would have gotten around to scene work, but we spent months improvising just for just to learn how to be. You know what I mean? And I can remember one of his best instructions was to don't hang signs out when he was talking about acting. Don't hang a sign out that you're angry. Be angry. To me, that was just like so clear. That just had so much clarity that I still use that today. I think most actors do. It's because of Eli. It's because of Eli that we were like that. Do you think that's why this film, more than anything else, was able to capture that zeitgeist and really kick off the whole thing? I do. I think it was really a marriage of Dawn's vision and our vision about what storytelling was. You know what I mean? I, I think it was just a, I think it was a very happy marriage that way. 
Now, I've heard that the published script of Going Down the Road, I haven't seen it myself, is significantly shorter than the actual film because they couldn't, for copyright reasons, include your guys' improvs. Right. Uh, how much improv was there? Well, I think there was more improv when you saw Joey and Pete out on the town. I think that was almost all improv. You know, when they were drinking with, you know, like the guys and stuff. And I think with the, our dialogue, our dialogue, I, I remember my dialogue actually being written. I wasn't improvising. There might have been the odd tail end kind of thing, but it was, I was pretty, pretty well scripted. You know, the actual scenes, like when the, he comes over to see us, we've got that high-rise apartment and stuff. I think that was all scripted. Well, I would hope so if you're doing a nude scene that it's in there somewhere. Oh, that, that uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I was mad about that. I said, <laughs> oh, I what? bet. What? I'm not, are you kidding me? And I wouldn't do it. And Richard Leiterman, who I totally had just unbelievable respect for, he said, oh, Jane, come on, just take your clothes off. Let's just get it done. I said, okay. <laughs> yes, because it's purely necessary to the integrity of the story yeah, right. that we see you're behind. Yeah, I know. Yes. It's so stupid. It was just, yeah. Paul, Paul, Don and I always howl about this. Paul was like, um, yeah, come on, Jane. It's just, you know, let's just do it. And, and then when we said cut, he pulled his underpants up so fast they just rolled into a rope. <laughs> <laughs> Could not wait to get covered again. Yeah. <laughs> well, at the very least, you're working with a skeleton crew. From my understanding, the the whole crew was just four people and Don. Yeah. What was it like to shoot like that? I mean, now we're used to like these giant things, and you're not working with the modern digital handycams. Like these are big, real, real cameras. Yeah. Well, that's why Richard Leiterman was so revered because he just really did it himself. It was just him and a handheld camera. I guess it was pretty big, and I I just I only remember Richard. And Jim McCarthy on sound. That's all I remember. I remember us pulling cables and doing the work. <laughs> were, were there two more people that actually have names? They're not listed in the credits. I've just seen written down that there was four people. So I'm like, maybe they had like dailies or something like that. I happened. think they probably had dailies the odd time. Yeah. Okay. But but you, but you got to remember, I'd never made a movie before. I didn't know what it was supposed to be like. It was when it got so huge. I thought, wow, this isn't like we did going down the road. You know what I mean? It's just, he would just point the camera and we just did our work. Part of what's so endearing and what I think enduring about this film that I genuinely love is this time capsule of what Toronto used to look like, especially <laughs> Young Street. You're capturing these these parks. I miss I miss Toronto, the old Toronto. It seemed like it was so much more fun. It was tons of fun. <laughs> and, and you get that. And I mean, that's partially what makes the film tolerable, as if it was just about these two sad sack schmoes where everything terrible happens to them. You're like, why am I sitting through this? But they have yeah. fun. Well, that's that's one of the most important things about drama is to let the levity in. You know what I mean? Because that's why I think this such a movie is is so good. I think because you have both. I'd say sadly there was so many other Canadian plays and movies after that. It's just like hitting you over the head with tragedy all the time. I we, like I'm in Women Fully Clothed, and we did a we did a, a movie scene. I can remember, I, it was one of the few lines I've ever written for this show. I think we had Teresa introducing the movie, something Burford and Soren or something. And I said, and, uh, I said, yeah, make the title of My Long, Slow, Snowy Walk to Death. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, uh, I do a Canadian film podcast. Yeah. This is basically my life. <laughs> yeah, right. My Long, Slow, Snowy Walk to Death. And I said, <laughs> 
but but Don, you know, he never fell into that. Well, it's interesting because he also introduced the trope that we now have of the male dud, which is a quintessential Canadian thing and has been repeatedly emulated. So, I mean, Don McKellar and Bruce McDonald would not have careers without going down the road. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. That's, well, I mean, you think about Highway 61, you think about Last Night, you think about Roadkill, like all of those launched those two and yeah. you don't have and you don't have those. They're basically, well, Last Night's not, but Roadkill are parodies of going down the ro- road, that enfant terrible announcement of the early 90s late 80s yeah, yeah. We're, we're building on what came before us but we're ruder and meaner and you know right McDonald's. yeah uh, <laughs> I love Bruce McDonald's work don't get me wrong but um uh, yeah. and even Shabib would revisit this concept with two women he did a movie called Heartaches with Annie Potts and Margot Kidder in 1981 which is about two women coming to Toronto and shacking up together and trying to make yeah. a go of it uh it's deeply problematic watching it now but it's uh yeah. you know he's revisiting that kind of that kind of concept what do you think about that is quintessentially Canadian that we keep making that movie over and over again I don't know I just I really don't know I don't get it I don't understand it I think it's um kind of lame quite frankly <laughs> you know what I mean it's yep. like it's like in Hollywood they keep cloning successful mo- premises all the time because they think that that's what people want to see I would never make a movie based on what I think people want to see, you know, that just makes no sense to me at all. So I don't get it, quite frankly. (laughs) Yeah, the movie's already been made. It got a full remaster, a a DVD release. So playing on the themes makes sense. But to basically remake the film with like little twists doesn't really. Yeah, I I don't even think revisiting a theme is, I don't know if that's a great idea either. Like (laughs) come up with your own theme. You know, it's like, I don't mean, I don't get it at all. I'm sorry, I can't dissertate on that at all because I just think it's not smart. I, so what do you think that this movie offers modern audiences? Originality and um, honesty, a good story about real people. And they're kind of funny. Like, I remember my daughter Olivia watching it for the first time and she said, this is actually really funny. You know what I mean? And she yeah. I thought, is it? I never actually noticed that it was actually kind of a funny movie. And that's that's what makes it so endearing, I think. Well, partially is because your character doesn't really get to have much fun. No, <laughs> like that's true. That's true. I have no fun at all. It's true. I'm just like this, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> I would have left me too. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't have. Oh. I, would, I wouldn't have married you in the first place. Yeah, right. I would, but whiny, I wouldn't have left you. Just a whine. Like, I have no redeeming qualities as far as I can see. But remember, this was my first gig, so I was very happy. It didn't bother me at all. I just wanted to be that person. You know what I mean? I just really wanted to be that person. The problem is we don't ever get to know these women, really. We just that's see the reactions true. of it. Yeah, that's true. Which is, you know, that was a choice, and that's fine. Um maybe there's only so many people people's personalities you can explore in in a story you know i mean so we were just part of the story which was fine so you don't get a lot of lines but you do get a lot of reaction shots and interesting un- yeah so unlike something with easy rider where you know women are basically disposable in that yeah. you have these characters where i'm thinking specifically of one moment which i love where it's at your wedding and yeah. everything is going wrong and your character betty has this moments of realization of exactly what she's gotten herself into yeah Right. And the camera just lingers and you just see everything play in your head. Is that what's going on there? Were you were you methoding that moment? Totally. Yeah. We knew what kind of marriage it was. 
but you're right that you know kudos to to dawn for that because you're right even though i didn't have a lot of dialogue he you felt me you know yeah. so that's the director god bless him that's the director i should give him a call <laughs> he's still kicking around he's making movies he is i know he, he actually wanted me to read a script and i said I can't right now. And then I think he got mad at me and never called me back. He said it was about sex anyway. I thought, well, that's not my favorite topic, but never mind. You know, but it's all Canadians favorite topics. I understand. Yeah. I know. But you know what? I'm really glad that you brought that up because that's a huge thing. We didn't. He gave us those reactions. So he, he gave us the screen time so the audience could see what we were thinking. And that's huge. Thank you for that, Becky. <laughs> oh, my pleasure. Well, I've never seen, there's so many dissertations that have been written about this, but predominantly written by dudes. And so everybody okay. focuses on, you know, everybody focuses on Peter, Joey, Doug McGrath, Paul Bradley, and yeah. no one really talks about you and Kale. And I'm like, this movie doesn't exist without you two, because there is that boying of those two characters by you, your mirror, your mirror images. Yeah. As like tame as Paul is and like so smooth. And then he just is, he would be perfectly happy just to settle into this domestic life uh, totally. and Doug doesn't want that and Kale also you get the idea isn't totally comfortable with the idea of just settling in so even she's not pushing that hard to be with Doug right yeah she's just along for the ride totally so yeah. you get that you do get the counterplay so the, the movie doesn't work without you two it's necessary yeah that's true and once again you know not 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 because of our performances but because of uh, Don's vision and really not that much writing, actually, you know, as you say, it wasn't much dialogue, but he his vision was very clear. It was great. From your personal experience, I mean, the concept of the film really does come down to is it better to find your place, stay in it um, and just kind of do your best? Or should you be striving for something more, even though you're not necessarily competent? From your yeah. personal experience, <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> well, that's uh... I think probably the people in the former category are the happier ones. You mean like in real life? What do I think of that? Yeah. Do you think people should kind of find their place and stay in it? Or should they always be striving for more? Well, I think hmm, that's really tough because that, that really is what it was about, wasn't it? And like mm -hmm. poor, poor Pete. He just, uh, I don't know. I don't know if he ended up being a happy man. I think I might have chosen the former because I'm, probably a little more timid than people think I am. Um, although I became an actress, but I'm actually pretty competent at it. I'm trying to think if I wasn't competent and I just kept going the way I did, I might've been pretty miserable. You know what I mean? Because I say to people, well, if I hadn't made it as an actor, I probably would have ended up being a really good salesperson for a big corporation, <laughs> you know, because I was really good with people. Um, so you just t kind of find, you know, use your talents in whatever whatever capacity is there for you. I mean, as far as show business is concerned, I have three children, two of them who wanted to become actors. Um, my daughter, Alicia, was in a very good comedy group with Mike Kiss called The Something or Others. And she's good. She's really good. I've seen her in a, you know, a few um, productions. She's actually a really, really good actress, but she couldn't handle the unemployment because she's really smart. So she's now in, in the health industry. And my son Dave revealed to me when he was 24 that all he really wanted to do was be a stage actor. And I said, what? <laughs> what? 
said, that's like, mom, I'm going to join the circus. I know. I said, if you had told me when you were younger, like in high school, I might have been able to help you. He said, well, I had them in Catholic high school in Hamilton. He said, well, that was social suicide for me then. It's very complicated. And he's now writing. He's in the health industry, too. And he and a really, this other really good writer from Hamilton, like they're, they're writing screenplays and comedies and their, their work is really good. That doesn't quite fit into what you were asking about, because I think both of my kids were competent and could have done it. But life is full of disappointments that way, isn't it? Yeah, consistently. And I mean, yeah. you also never know what's coming up. I think about when I was just graduating from theater school and I was talking to someone who uh, was now a teacher there and had graduated a decade previously. And uh, he was saying it really is a marathon. Like the people who take off right after they graduate, often yeah. they're they're not around after five years. But the people who are like still in it and persevering and really eating the dirt, yeah. they're the ones that kind of keep going. Um, and they, they have the longer run. And you look at the cast of Going Down the Road and and you're like, okay, it's interesting to see who was able to make a go of it. So yourself and Kale and Doug. And then Paul never quite got it together the same way you guys did. Well, he had every opportunity. That's yeah. what was interesting. He probably, the CBC fell in love with him. They adored him. And he was, he was put in quite a few productions. At that time, the CBC, they were trying to do some interesting new work. It was almost like a Playhouse 90 kind of thing that was going on. Okay. I'd say maybe not every week, but maybe every month there was a big new sort of movie of the week on the CBC. New writers, new directors, often new actors. And Paul was getting that kind of work, but Paul was drunk. Mm. That was the problem. He just, uh, he couldn't get past that. And that's what killed him in the end. Wasn't that what killed him? I'm pretty sure it was. It was. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. People were probably paying more attention to him than any of us because he was fabulous on screen. He was just awesome, but he just, he couldn't get it together. I remember once I was in Second City. He came over to see me and he had been drinking all afternoon. And he said, Jane, have a drink. I said, Paul, I can't. I'm going on stage. And I said, well, you've really changed Eastwood. You know, and he was like, sort of that, it was almost a little bit abusive. And he, I said, Paul, I got to go just relax on my back porch. I lived in a, an apartment in Cabbage Town. I said, I got to go. I'll get you a comp. Come down and see the show. So he came down and I think during, he might've been, he might've made it through the book show. Okay. But I think during the improv, he started yelling at us and just, he was so drunk. They had to take him out. They had to just remove him from the theater. And then I found out that he had been on my porch drinking vodka, mixing his drink with lighter fluid. He thought it was like um he thought it was like a mixer. <laughs> oh wow. He was drinking oh, wow. lighter fluid. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So that's Paul had a serious problem. Paul was a guy of the streets, you know, like he had very little education. He was just a brilliant actor. Like I remember when we were improvising, he was hysterical. The stuff that he was coming up with really was on the par of like Joel Flaherty and John Candy and those guys. Like he was hysterical. He was just have us on the floor every night. He was brilliant. He was just misguided or just, was just bad luck, you know? He could have been huge. Well, it's those coping mechanisms that actors yeah. find too, right? What yeah. was it? I, I heard someone say the other day that um, a staff writing job on a comedy television series Ooh. is a perfect excuse for a drug habit. Yes. <laughs> I think being in a writing room of a, uh, that, that's, comedy is the hardest. That's the absolute hardest thing there is to do, without a doubt. I know, because <laughs> we're writing a, third show of women fully clothed and it's just 
Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've been together for 15 years, and um, we, we've come up with a good show, but it hasn't been easy. It's just getting harder and harder and harder. Yeah, right. Writing comedy is really tough. It's the well, especially if you don't have an audience in front of you to be to bounce those off of having to keep doing the like. True. Okay, that one landed. That one didn't. Timing slightly off. Yeah, true, and and that. So sometimes we just like we'll just like rent the John Candy Theater, and I think we um, a couple of times just played to seven or eight people just to get out there, which we'll still be doing some of that. Yeah. Let's talk about Women Fully Clothed for a second here. Sure. So it is you, Robin Duke, I believe, is part yeah. of it. Who else you got? Teresa Pavlinak and Kathy Greenwood. Fabulous. That's a that's a hell of a cast right there. It's a huge, it's like they're amazing. They're just extraordinary. And we used to have Deb McGrath, but she left. And she was great, too. She was a great writer. I'm the only one who's not really a writer. And I apologize to them every day. They're getting tired <laughs> of hearing it. And I said, I, I'll split. I'll, I'll make room for, you know, get Janet Vandergraaff. She can write or... You know, like get somebody from Second City said, no, Jane, just shut up. Just shut up and just stay. Because they go home, like we'll come up with ideas. We'll have, and our ideas usually just come out of conversations. And they will go home and write a scene with a beginning, a middle and an end, you know, which is really, really hard to do. It sounds like a simple thing, but four minute scene with an arc, <laughs> you know, and an ending, it's like insane. I can help like with premises and lines like my long slow snowy walk to death you know what i mean like, oh, <laughs> like that that type of thing but um what they do just blows my mind teresa wrote for schitt's creek for a year and i think robin and kathy have been writing for andrea martin you know who's an old buddy of ours and i think you know there's rumors of um some big shows in town that might be looking for some female writers can't say which though <laughs> <laughs> you know we don't have a lot of female driven comedy happening yeah, right. on television right yeah. now so you know yeah you can probably guess who it is <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, let me ask you about some other of the films. I mean, your resume is obviously encyclopedic of the who's who of Canadian film. Yeah. Um, but let me ask you about a couple films that I particularly love that I think people need to check out more of. The okay. first one is 1989's Cold Comfort, which gave us Paul Gross. Yeah, um, I just had a small part in Cold Comfort, I believe. And it was with Paul and Maury Chaikin, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. And no, really, uh, that it was wonderful. I adored them. Had we not met Paul Gross before that? No, he, that is, that's his introduction to Canadian audiences. Really? Is this bizarre little incest drama. Yeah, totally. I love it that, oh, I love it that you know my filmography better than I do. You, you're, you are good. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, I, it was just, uh, what year was Cold Comfort? 1989. Okay, so 89, that's when I was, I wasn't doing that much work then. Well, I'll tell you why. I'd have three kids in the 80s. So my star was dimming. <laughs> it was really dimming. So I was getting a lot of, a lot of, I don't mind talking about this at all. I was getting a lot of like one day jobs in films. I never became, I never became the big lead in a film that I thought I might become after going down the road. I never did. Well, also in Canada, they weren't writing those parts for women. They were writing parts yeah. for Shannon Tweed. That, that's right. Yeah. Yes, you're right. So uh, that I just kept going. I'm just the kind of actor who just I I'm just a journeyman actor. I just I just keep driving through. Some parts were bigger than others, and I would 
land well in some things and just go in and do it. Like I do have a huge bibliography, but a lot of them are just like one or two days. So I just remember them being adorable. That's all. I, I think I was behind a counter. I think I was behind a counter and they're adorable. Okay. Adorable is perfect. I'm sure baby Paul Gross was very cute. Oh, he was absolutely adorable. And I, but I, I really love Maury too, because Maury was, you know, he was like really, really funny. Yeah, no, Paul was, Paul was very sweet. Well, let me point you towards one that I'm sure you have a lot to say about that was unfortunately buried. Uh, one Man from 1977, the Robin Spry film with Len Carreau. Mm-hmm. That was Oh, right. Okay, so that was a big part for me. <laughs> mm, and you're amazing in it. Amazing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I never get to see these things again. It, it did get buried. I don't know. Was it? Did you think it was a good film or was it a it's bit? It's stunning. Is it it's, really? It's stunning. It's for actually available for free right now on the National Film Board website if you want to check it out. Friend of the show, Albert uh, Ohayon, who is the English curator over there, yeah. he wrote a whole essay to say about it and what happened to it. It's unbelievable and so timely and so relevant right now. Wow. Yes. Yeah. I, that's interesting because I felt that the whole premise of it might have been a little overblown. I need to probably see that again. Len was great. I loved working with Len and the director, what was his name? Robin Spry. Robin Spry's dead, isn't he? He did. He passed away. Yeah, that's really sad. But that was interesting because that was my first TIFF film. Oh, okay. We were at the party and Donald Sutherland's girlfriend came up to me and said, Donald wants to meet with you. I went, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he was waiting at the top of an escalator for me. And she took me up to meet him and he shook my hand and sort of ignored David. Was, that was, wasn't great. And he said it was some of the best work he's ever seen in his life. He was, he was really impressed with me in that movie. So there you go. That was a nice thing to have. But I do remember Robin Spry being a wonderful director and we were we spent a lot of time on each scene because he was National Film Board. I think he had a lot of money behind <laughs> him. <laughs> that one went to Cannes as well. Oh, yes, it did, didn't it? Yeah. It did. I wonder yeah, why yeah. it got so buried. That's really, oh. that's sad, isn't it? Yeah. It totally said it was a distribution issue with Canada specifically. Always. You guys got a big, there was Always. a big European release, but the Canadian American one just kind of fell through. It was Columbia, Canada. Well, it was Columbia, Canada, huh? Yeah. Well, that's an old story with Canadian films, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> isn't it ever? Yeah. Let me tell you, trying to dig up some of these old ones that people are like, I remember this Michael Ironside movie for 1992 oh, and it's my favorite and, yeah. you know, nowhere to be found. I did a, I did a movie with Michael Ironside called Office Party and with uh, David Warner. Really? Yeah. I'm looking this up now. It okay. was good. It, it was it was called Office Party. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's that anymore. And that that was quite interesting too. We were being held hostage. It's now called Hostile Takeover Hostile from 1988. Takeover. Yeah. Yeah. Man, okay, that's one I have to find. Kate Vernon's in it too. Yes, Holy cow. Kate Vernon. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Okay, this is why I do this show, because it's like, all right, here's this movie you've never heard of that you're going to love. That's Amazing. That's great, yeah. Now, I have one more thing that I have to bring up, and I'm sure everybody asks you about it. Oh. The epic production of Godspell in Toronto that had oh everyone God. in it. Martin Short, yeah. Gilda Radner, Victor Garber, Dave Thomas joined later, Andrew yeah. Martin, Eugene Levy, Paul Schaefer as musical director. Yeah. <laughs> everybody talks about that so fondly. Like, everyone gets this, like, little smile on your face. Yeah. Uh, or on their face when they talk about it. Was yeah. it really that good a time? It was magical. It really was. It was like Brigadoon. It was, I've never, ever had that much fun in a production in my entire life. 
Marnie, there were, there were massive auditions at the Masonic Temple. And I can remember the, the auditions went on all day long. And there was, it, was, it, was, it was an open call, right? And we had to improvise and group. We had to come up with a song first. And uh, Victor remembers Gilda doing her audition. And she had like two pigtails on either side. And she was saying, zippity doo da, zippity a. <laughs> and Victor remembers going, oh, that's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, In all his Victor that. Garber sort of like uh, authority. Yeah. And, <laughs> oh, and, it's fabulous. But Victor never was that person. Victor truly was almost a saint to, to us. Victor is still Jesus to us, quite frankly. Yeah, he is. We all, his last night when he left, there's like this circle thing that I don't know. He's, I think it's, it's sort of reminiscent of giving us the bread and the wine and we're all around him. Yeah. He's saying, take this. This is my body. Everybody was just sobbing, sobbing because Victor was leaving. I mean, we adored him. We all we all adored each other. And you know who's the biggest softy I'd say about Godspell? Marty. Marty Short is such a softy about Godspell. It's it's unbelievable. Like Valda Avix was in it, and Marty made fun of everybody, right? But he really would make fun of Valda. And I remember, I think the last time we were having a Godspell talk, he said, "Yes, and our Valda's in Europe." I said, "What? Our Valda? You know, <laughs> it's like you are so sentimental about this show. It is like he rem and there's nothing he doesn't remember about it. It truly was an unbelievable time. Like I've never been closer." to a group of people in my life. As a matter of fact, we all broke up with our partners, sadly. Really? Basically, yeah. Yeah. Well, I know Martin Short was dating Gilda Radner during that, and didn't yeah. he then meet his wife as well on that? He yeah, did Nancy. It, he ended up marrying... Nancy, Nancy yes, he married a, her understudy. Yeah, yeah. He married, yeah, Nancy. <laughs> Which was great, and they had one of the happiest marriages I've ever seen in my life. It was extraordinary. And I just worked with Rudy Webb in a movie. Oh, yeah. great. Fabulous. Yeah. There's, I mean, again, there's another journeyman actor who like you look at his credits and you're like, man, you've been working. Yeah. He was a wonderful, wonderful singer. Yeah. It's, it's, it's for all of us, those days are so clear and so wonderful. I think we were making $160 a week when we were <laughs> at the, um, at the Royal Alex and we were loaded. That was good dough. That was actually good money then. This is like, especially for actors. 70, 1972, was it? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the auditions, I can remember um, these two guys sitting behind me and it was Marty and Eugene and Eugene had this afro, like just huge afro and Marty's ears kind of stuck out. And I thought, well, they're hilarious. And of course, they ended up being my best friends on the show. Um, and I sang, um, what did I sing? Um, Oh, yeah, this really cheap Broadway song. If they could see me now, that little gang of mine. And Mike Kirby, my friend Mike Kirby, who you may or may not know, um, he's more like of a major voice man now, played guitar for me. And I got down on my knees and I just sang it out. And I actually looked down and Stephen, I saw Stephen Schwartz mouthing, she's fabulous. Isn't that great? I thought, yeah. man, I'm, I've never been happier in my life, you know. And I, I've been doing film. I've done going down the road. I've done I've done a fair amount of film up up to that point. Um, and then we had to improvise in groups, and so they just kept eliminating, eliminating, eliminating. And then we, this cast was left. You know, it was brilliant. Wow.
Yeah, but that just partied, sounds incredible. We partied every night. That's why we broke up with all our partners. I, I was living with this really nice guy, Roger Grease, who was an art director and great guy. But I wasn't coming home until five in the morning because I was too busy being out with Marty and Eugene. <laughs> <laughs> why wouldn't you? That I level know. of energy, that level of excitement. Yeah, it's just it just real life paled in comparison, sadly, you know. And yeah, I was young and flippant and really stupid. I mean, I think Rudy was the only one who was actually responsible and stayed married. <laughs> the only one. The only one. Yeah. I know you're very busy. And tell me a little bit more about how people can find more about your work, about uh, Women Fully Clothed, what you've got coming up, and how our audience can find you. Well, I do have a thing coming out on CBC Gem, which is like their website. Their app, yeah. Uh, yeah, their app. Yeah. And it's called Hey Lady, and it's starring me. I'm in every scene. Finally, it's just about me <laughs> uh, at the age of 72. You and Tantu Cardinal, man, waiting for that one big yeah, break. Yeah. This is written by an amazing playwright by the name of Morris Ponich, if you want to look up his work. He's brilliant. And it's probably the funniest material I've ever done in my life. And it will be released, I think... Um, probably after November the 21st on CBC Gym. It's called Hey Lady, and it's funny. And uh, Sarah Pauly directed. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I wasn't going to do it because there was another almost nude scene in it. And I had this thing. I've got this thing that my agent, Sandra, and I really agree on. I get a lot of offers to do because, you know, I'm sort of gritty to kind of play an old lady who's sex-starved and mm. hate that. I hate it so much. For me, it's not funny. It's been done and it's not dignified. You know what I mean? So there's also a very weird thing where people are now trying to convince women, oh, it's so brave for you to do this. Like, it's, yeah. no, it's bullshit. I know. I thank you for saying that because I hate it. I'm yeah. really uncomfortable with that kind of thing. I, I, yeah. think, I think the last one was it was in a nursing home and I was like this crazy old lady who liked her toys. What? Oh. Are you, what? So we just turn it down right away. Can't stand it. And so, okay, so Betty White did it once and it was funny. Okay, it's been- Yeah, so Kathy Bates won an Academy Award. Who yeah. cares? Yeah, right. Because, yeah, she dropped her robe. Well, I was supposed to drop my robe in this in front of a plumber. And I said, no, sorry, not doing it. Um, I, I said, the material is really funny. I didn't read all the way through, but I got to that. I said, no, sorry, guys. And then Sarah Pauly, and, and then Sandra came back, she's my agent, she said, Jane, they want to talk to you again because they really don't want to do this without you. You're the person that they want. So we said, let's take another look at it. And we did realize, like, the material is original and fresh and hysterical. And But there was just that one scene that I wasn't comfortable with. So Sarah called me up, and we had that conversation about how I felt old ladies were being portrayed it just it makes me angry just I don't like it I really don't like it and she said no I don't like it either and and uh, the other two directors Will Bose and Adriana oh I can't remember Adriana's last name don't tell anybody that because I can't remember anybody's name we all had a meeting and they didn't want it to be like that either so we did do the scene but it's just part of like this character called lady just trying to piss people off and um so it was fine it was really just a, a shoulder drop that's what it, what it became so I ended up doing it it's probably the funniest material I've ever done in my life without a doubt it's hysterical Jackie Richardson plays my best friend do you know oh, who Jackie wow. Richardson is oh yes I do yeah 
and yeah. she's phenomenal in it. Um, wow. So I'm just looking at the IMDb for it right now. Iris Ng uh, did the cinematography for it. She's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. This is one hell. Like just looking at this. Uh, Adriana Meggs, by the way, that's who it is. Yeah. This is this looks absolutely incredible. And we have Don McKellar in it, and um, Scott Thompson is in it. Oh, of course he is. Yeah, and he's hysterical. I'm looking at the series cast, and the only people I have here are two guys who are clearly IMDb climbers because they've got themselves listed as plumber and barista, and you, and you're listed. For for unknown episodes and nobody else is in the series cast list and that's the series cast and nobody's on this who's not doing their job yeah really Ugh. yeah that's sad i don't have patience jane i just don't yeah well make Ugh. make yourself heard because we need you we <laughs> that's need the you show business. yeah <laughs> um so yeah who knows like who will see it but it's i'm very proud of the work and then women fully clothed is like very very close to my heart we're we're playing in Burlington, October the fifth, the Burlington Arts Center. Like we, women fully clothed. We've we've done the Royal Alex, Massey Hall. We've toured all across Canada. We've toured down the eastern seaboard of the states. It's a it's a really really good show. Yeah. Oh yeah, with a cast like that, how can well? You as miss? I said, comedy yeah. writing's really tough, man. We we did um an industrial yesterday and it was pretty interesting. They were all drunk and they talked through the entire show. <laughs> Oh, fabulous. You know, I got I to gotta sidetrack and just tell you a quick thing that was my lesson was I got to see Ian McKellen and uh, Patrick Stewart do their Waiting for Godot in the West End. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, it was really something. And then it was a Sunday, rainy Sunday afternoon, and the dude next to us, we were so excited. We saved up all our money, and the dude next to us fell asleep and snored no. so no. loud we couldn't hear half the dialogue. Oh, no. And it was like, oh. all right, if they fall asleep for Patrick, Ian can fall asleep for oh, me. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, so we're all just journeyman actors when it comes down to that you know yeah it's a humbling exactly. experience yeah <laughs> oh, my God. oh man well jane thank you so much for being on the oh, show and sharing you. everything i really appreciate it well i hope that i gave you stuff that was semi-interesting because <laughs> you're fabulous thank you becky thank you so okay, are you take care okay bye-bye Thanks for listening to the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. If you like what we're doing, please remember to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcatcher. It helps people find our podcast and Canadian media they love. Come chat with us at RCM Pod on Facebook or on Twitter at RCM Pod. Our theme song is by Craig Stewart and our show art is by Paul Stachniak. Join us next week for another great film from the wilds of Canadian cinema.